This is the ID Fanatic podcast coming to you from beautiful Midtown Toronto on Tuesday, June 22nd, 2021. The podcast where we talk to real instructional designers for one half hour about their lives, their careers, and how they keep it all together. My guest today is Robbie Christian of Miami, who I just met last Friday at the GLDC meetup. As I've mentioned before, this is a weekly social meetup of instructional designers that anyone can join for free. Just go to myglbc.org to register. So you've had a, uh, an interesting path to instructional design. You've been a scuba diver your whole life, sounds like, and you've gone all over the world. Uh, you first learned to dive in South Africa, is that right? That's right. It was on my 21st birthday, while so many of my friends used that opportunity to, to go drink and forget everything about the night. <laughs> um, I took a totally different approach, and I did my very first scuba dive on my 21st birthday in South Africa when I was studying abroad there, and it was the greatest thing. Yeah, I've never been scuba diving, but I went to uh, Israel many, many years ago when they still had the Sinai Desert. And we were going down the coast of the Gulf of Eilat, and we just waded into the water with, you know, masks on our faces. And it looks like a perfectly normal water beach. You stick your face underwater, and all these different shapes and sizes and colors of fish, it was amazing. Oh, yeah. And we just waded in, and there were a couple of guys who went scuba diving for an hour or two that were, you know, the, the tour guides brought their stuff with them. But man, I could not believe it. Yeah, I worked out in Egypt for a short time, and, and the Red Sea to this day is still the best diving I've ever done. Really? It's just incredible, the, the disparity, the difference you get. It's, it's just the most incredible juxtaposition between a barren wasteland on the surface, uh-huh. and then you dive below the water, and everything just comes to life. There's more life than, than I ever imagined underneath. You finish the dive, you come back up, and it's just total desolation. It's desert everywhere you are. <laughs> yeah. So I lucked out, eh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a good place to be, that's for sure. So you were studying abroad in South Africa? Tell me about that. I was. I ended up doing a, um, a study abroad opportunity there. I wanted somewhere that would sort of turn my perspective on life and society of growing up in the Midwest sort of on its head. And so I was originally slated to go to Kenya um, and live out in the bush for a while and have no electricity or running water or anything. And um, the elections in 2007 in December turned violent. I wasn't allowed to go on the trip. And so I had to make a a change. And the next best, best option I could come up with was in Cape Town. And it was a very different experience than I thought that I originally was going to get into but I figured, mm-hmm. you know there's still it's still you know a, a world apart and i'm going to be in the the vast minority as you know a, a white midwesterner who <laughs> saw um, a heck of a lot more diversity than i had ever seen before and that's exactly what i wanted in it what had you been studying physics physics right i'll bet you're the only instructional designer out there listening to this who went to school for physics and then ended up in scuba diving, at least. <laughs> well, that part goes without saying, but even the, even the start, what did you think you were going to do, math? At that point in time, I was planning on going into um, some sort of ocean engineering or uh, marine physics, mm-hmm. the, the fields are called. And uh, I was convinced that, well, shoot, if I take a year off as a dive instructor, 
I'm likely going to forget most of what, <laughs> what I know. It's going to be, you know, I'm going to be do, shooting myself in the foot in yeah. my career by, you know, having this jaunt around the world as a dive instructor. Um, and I had to do it for a year because it takes a lot of money to invest to start out. And so yeah. I needed to take at least a year to work back that cost. It wasn't the kind of thing that I was, okay, well, let me, let me do it for a month. And then, you know, let me just make it a summer job. Like it just, it wasn't financially, uh, it didn't make sense. So mm-hmm. um, it was a very challenging decision. And I, I prayed about it, talked to, to people I know and respect, um, and really meditated on it for a while. And at the end of all of it, I decided that I was going to regret not doing that experience. I was going to regret for the rest of my life, like, oh, I wonder what yeah. it would have been like if I would have taken a year as a dive instructor. Yep. And when I realized that, there was sort of no going back. These, these life decisions, man, they're so hard. You know, these opportunities come up. Sometimes opportunities have come up for me. And I thought, well, you know, it came up once. It'll probably come up again. Right. And some of those things just never come around again. Yeah, and I, I think that was going to be one of those. <laughs> and then, of course, it uh, took you off in a totally different direction. <laughs> I'm perfectly happy with that now. <laughs> so the, your year off was in Hawaii? Uh, it started in Hawaii. Uh-huh. Um, so I was two months in Hawaii, spent three months in the Philippines, uh, moved to Indonesia, then to St. Martin in the Caribbean, um, and a few other places in between, yeah. but not really living in those other places, just sort of traveling. Uh-huh. Um, but those are the, the bulk of the places that I worked, and then over the summer was in Egypt, and then I settled down in Miami. Okay, so were you teaching all English-speaking like tourists? I was. Were you able to meet any locals when you were going through? I did. I did. And those are some of the, the coolest experiences that I had. Um, because in, in the, the diving industry, sure, you get to meet a lot of tourists coming from all over the place. But mm. a lot of times, I think people overlook the ones that actually live there. Um, and looking back on it, I wish that I had gotten to know them even more. <laughs> I wish that I had had uh, really built lifelong friendships with them. Uh, but I was just in a different stage in my life. And I don't regret anything by any means. But it was that I do cherish the moments that I had with uh, with the locals. So what was it like when you got back home? Did you have any? Yeah, it, it was tough. I mean, I, I kind of got back and it, the weirdest thing was as if like nothing had ever changed. I mean, there were moments that I was like, wait, did, did that even happen? So I started out that way. So when I moved to Miami, this is after a year of, of being gone, um, moved back home for just a, a few weeks to get my yeah. back on the ground before coming to Miami. I was living up in Ohio with my parents. Uh-huh. moved down to Miami for the first time. And my plan was to do school part-time and be a dive instructor part-time to sort of pay the way. And then I was offered a job in a scientific diving program uh, right there at the university. <laughs> uh-huh. So it was scientific research. That's right. So I was a uh, one of the dive officers there at, at the University of Miami. I was doing the teaching I was training scientists and students how to do underwater research. And then I would also be used for doing some of the research when, when some of the scientists needed some extra hands on board. Yeah. 
I would get in the water and, and collect some of the data. And some of those were just one or two days at a time and some were weeks at a time with doing rebreathers and decompression and, and all sorts of things. So while you were there, you were doing training and somehow that morphed into uh, doing e-learning. How did that happen? That's right. So my boss and I recognized fairly early on that there was a growing interest and a growing demand for the program. It was mm -hmm. a very popular class that we taught, the scientific diving class, and there was always a very long wait list. And so mm -hmm. sort of looking at the bigger picture of where the program was going to go in the next few years, we recognized that we were going to eventually be asked to do more students every single semester. And so we looked at each other and we were like, okay, well, well how can we solve this problem? how can we bring more people in without adding more time into the day <laughs> without doing yeah. 30 hour day? How can we make this happen? And we settled on e-learning to sort of take some of the burden away. So I started, uh, I, I asked around the community a whole bunch and, and landed on the articulate software. And this is back in 2011 or something. Uh -huh. It was, uh, articulate, uh, what is it, presenter or something? I guess it was coming to prominence, yeah. There was a yeah. lot of multimedia. I remember when multimedia director was the huge thing. But oh, that yeah, was yeah. that was before your time, I think. I, yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, but we just we just sort of settled on on that. And, and I was essentially making glorified PowerPoints. Yeah. There were PowerPoint slides that, that were animated, and I had, uh, I narrated every single one of them. Mm -hmm. So you got my voice and you got an animated PowerPoint that came along and it was, it was really unsophisticated, but at the time that was like the greatest thing that I had ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody else that I had, no other class that I had ever taken before. None yeah. of my other students had ever seen anything like it. So, so I felt really good about myself. I was like, oh yeah, I can totally do this. And the more time went on, the more I was able to go back and start looking at the data and start compiling data and saying, okay, well, these students before doing the e-learning, we have all of this data on their performance, yeah. what their scores were down to every single question on the exams, and let's compare that to afterwards. And every single semester, I would go through and do a little bit of an analysis and say, okay, well, what is, what is the most misunderstood content right now? Well, let me go back into the course and see how I can I can address that. Let me see how I can change and adjust and adapt. Mm -hmm. and so I I feel like I was in a very unique position that I was the e-learning designer for all of this for an ongoing and a long term. Yeah, yeah, that I had yeah. This great access to this data. Uh, and I and you were also the you were also the client because you were <laughs> that's you right. were working with the students afterwards. <laughs> that's right. That's yeah. right. I was I was able to do it all from there, and and so it was it was an incredible experience to be able to work through all of those different challenges and, and changes. And so when Storyline came about, uh, I jumped on that train as fast as I could and started making things a lot more interactive. And uh, that certainly changed things, but without, without the science behind it, without the actual cognitive theory, <laughs> yeah. you know, there, there, were still, there was still a lot left to be desired. And but uh, that analysis stage, the evaluation, uh, usually doesn't even happen. 
in most right. corporate settings, uh, never mind uh, sophisticated analysis of the data. Um, so, and then being able to make changes based on that and then see the results of the changes, you know, you're really, you're really in a unique position there. Right. I was just cycling through the Addy process like yeah. every single year <laughs> again and again for the same course. Now, you said cognitive theory. Uh, most instructional designers don't study cognitive theory. They, they study learning theory. So uh, was there a, a different, something different that you got into? So my, my biggest thing right now is a book called Make It Stick. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I couldn't possibly recommend it enough. It really does take a scientific approach to cognitive theory about how people um, actually learn. And it's a little bit of a different approach from the learning theory uh, that typically people understand and definitely changed the way that I think about how content should be delivered, how it should be tested, and ultimately that affects how it's received. Okay, so it's by Henry L. Rodiger and Mark A. McDaniel and Peter C. Brown. That's I, don't really I don't actually know those names. Yeah, and my favorite thing coming from the physics side of things where I, I am all about the evidence, the data, the studies. This isn't just somebody's thoughts of like, oh, I think that this is going to work better. Oh, I have my own theory about this. No, it, they've they've tested this stuff and, yeah. and compiled the data and really put this together. And I think it, the book was about a, a decade in the making. Saying wow. Yeah. All right. Well, that is definitely a must read on my list. Definitely. Yeah. So I looked, so let's talk about the portfolio because yeah. I looked at a couple of things on your site and I don't usually do this, but uh, I'm going to talk about one of the items that I found interesting and uh, ask you some questions about it along the way. Okay. Fantastic. Cool. So I looked at your course on lionfish safety okay. and was immediately impressed because your title page is a piece of video of lionfish swimming. You can hear the water. You can hear the breathing of the scuba diver in the background. Uh -huh. uh, so unlike a lot of courses that have like a still picture and some music that's sort of some stock music, I found that it was immediately engaging my senses, making me curious. And uh, the begin button on the page is large. And changes color when you mouse over it. Nobody's going to be confused about what to do oh. <laughs> when they get to this thing without any without any other text than just begin. So, how did you land on this design for your splash page? And is it typical of the courses you build are specific to this content? Um, from watching examples, uh, I went through so many different <laughs> different people's portfolios. But were there a lot of examples that you saw that had video and the big begin button and? Uh, and, and and the soundtrack because it sounds it feel it makes you feel like you're underwater, you know, on a dive. Right. Well, I I really wanted to do. Um, you'll forgive me for saying so. An immersive experience. Um, yeah. Immersed underwater, uh, and and without that, I think I have a very unique topic. I, mm -hmm. I chose a very unique topic, and I wanted to really draw people in and. And it's an environment that not everybody is familiar with. And so mm -hmm. I wanted to have an element there that really made you connect to what it is that you're going to be doing. So there's no question from that landing page, there is no question of yeah. 
where it is that we are, what it is that that we're uh, the environment that we're in. Yeah. And really sort of draw that learner in and say, oh, well, I, I want to see a little bit yeah. more about this. No, it really stands out that way. Yeah. What was the moment that you that you knew that what this that you should put the uh, breathing on the soundtrack? It was after looking at the video and playing the course and and realizing that there was it, it didn't have any life. <laughs> if you mute your sound and and open up the course, it cool I guess, <laughs> but it it's not really a complete picture. Unfortunately, I didn't have any great videos of lionfish of my own so yeah sadly, yeah i have to admit that that's a, a stock oh it doesn't matter doesn't matter at all doesn't matter at all it's a beautiful picture yeah i think it works. and it works really really well um you know the very first simulation that i ever saw was uh, an interactive video like at the beginning of time uh-huh. uh and it was this field hospital in a war zone and this doctor arrives, and he, the sergeant tells him what's going on, and then he goes in, and he has to make decisions. But the unique thing was, because it was, it was on video, so the, the soundtrack was all you know, natural, but the unique thing was, whenever they stopped for a decision point, they threw up text on the screen, but they kept the soundtrack going. And there was a timer. So you never lost the sense of where you were. And this idea of using audio to give people that sort of immersive sensation is very, very underused and underappreciated. I think in the industry, I, I, I've maybe seen it a handful of times, but uh, it's sort of good on you for, for choosing to go that way. Well, thanks. So you have an animated host, right? Lucas. He faces the learner directly. He's available for help during the course. He speaks in full sentences, but the animated on-screen text that comes on and off reinforces his speech, and, sh and it's shortened to the point. Um, and it should be remarked that although you're white and you do the narration, Lucas is not. So how did you decide on having a host like this, and can you comment on the character creation process? Yes. So let me comment on the uh, the creation process first. It was done through Adobe Character Animator, and I wanted I wanted to create something that I really wanted to fuse the elements of reality and illustration. Mm -hmm. So you'll see throughout the entire course that there are real life images, photographs. Yeah, washed that. out in the background. Yeah, That's right. And then you have those those animated um, that animated character on the on the front end. If I'm going to have an animated character, it's not just going to be a still face. And if mm. I have an animated character, it's not just going to be, <laughs> you know, some something that you know isn't very synced up, or it's just the head. I want the whole body. I want the movement. Uh, I want the words coming up on the screen. Mm. Along. So, so I want an animated character that that really feels like a person that you're talking to and is talking to you. I didn't want a businessman because that's not the type of person yeah. you see out there. Um, I did want a male character because I wanted to do the narration. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I ended up actually with that. That puppet is is a little girl. And so I pulled this little girl into Photoshop and I made a whole bunch of changes to the shape of her face, to her hair, to the, the length of her torso and everything. And, uh, and then ended up calling her Lucas. And so... 
this decision to go with Lucas being sort of a, a brown character was um, it was fairly deliberate because I feel like the years that I spent at the university uh, there was very little diversity. I I live in an incredibly diverse city, but it is a field of study and an occupation that had very little diversity within it. This training is supposedly for people that are going out into the field and they might be coming from somewhere that is sort of very Caucasian centric, but they might be landing somewhere that's not. Yeah. So I wanted to create a character who is in a position of authority who is this training and manager who has all of this experience, who's teaching you, who isn't just a white guy. <laughs> so uh, that's where I ended up uh, landing on Lucas. That's great. Um, another interesting choice, because he gives me advice that is very much keyed to, like very much directs me to the right answer. There's no really question about that. But he doesn't specifically say which one is right. And in the end, uh, it's left up to me. So that was an interesting choice. In most courses, you would get the question, you would have to choose the answer, and then in the feedback, they would give you some kind of uh, more detailed idea about what it is that you choose right and wrong. But you've sort of gone, you've sort of flipped that. Can you talk about that? That's right. So what I wanted was this sense that, you know, you do have this character, Lucas, helping you along. And I wanted to make it so that if you did rely on him, if you did ask him, he would be very helpful. I wanted you to build faith and, and trust in him and thus in the company. If you want more information and you're afraid of, of selecting that, that wrong choice, yeah, Lucas is there and, and he doesn't say select choice C. He sort of leads you there. And, and, and I think he does give a lot of the answer away, um, but I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. So the interesting aspect to me is what you said about in the real situation, like it, it, in the real training situation, there is somebody there you can ask questions. And so both to deal with the learner experience of please just give me the right answer and the experience of being there and, you know, wanting to, them to feel like, you know, it's okay to ask questions. Right. Uh, is a dual sort of thing that that, that that handles that isn't isn't at all obvious. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I didn't get to your family situation, but uh, you just had a baby on your on your website. You announced you just had a baby, so congratulations. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. He's about a year and a half old, and he's a, year and a half. bundle of joy. <laughs> so you didn't just have a baby. You, you now have a, a little, yeah. <laughs> no, a little guy who's running around all over the place. And is your wife uh, working or is she at home full-time? She's working. She works as an administrator in the public school system. Ah, okay. Well, in Miami. do they have good daycare in Miami? They do. We, I mean, it's it's hit around a great spot. Um, so we do send them off. We call it school. Yeah, <laughs> we send them off to school. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a great program, and and we're happy with them there. Okay, great. All right, I'm going to move on to my ten question questionnaire. Okay. That I ask at the end of every show. Okay. Certainly. So first thing comes to mind. What's your favorite word? Oh, um, serendipitous. What is your least favorite word? Um, you know, I'm going to say kernel. 
like the military colonel, there, there is no reason for an OLO to be in that. Because way. it's hard to spell. <laughs> it's a great reason, I think. It's just so deceiving. Mm. No R. <laughs> what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Um, I think things of brilliance, uh, seeing and admiring uh, things that, that really are, are just beautiful and brilliant, whatever it may be. And what is that usually for you, like art or um, nature? Oh, it spans the game. I mean, we're talking like just nature in general, going out and, and walking, seeing the, the trees outside. It can mm -hmm. be a beautiful piece of music, um, an amazing piece of art, or something that's just really perfectly logically put together. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, the creative things, I would have to say, would be, would be something that, um, that gets, gets my creativity going. And what turns you off? Uh, things that don't work the way that they're designed to work. Do you have a favorite curse word? Uh, I actually don't. Um, it's I usually substitute curse words for like, shoot, <laughs> wow. darn it. <laughs> so, now is is that just in the past year or before then? <laughs> no, that's that's been my whole life actually. Yeah. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? Um, I really love the sound of a firework leaving the, uh, I don't even know what it's called. Leaving the chute. Yeah. yeah. The chute. That, is, that whoosh, yeah. yeah. Boom. Boom. <laughs> what sound or noise do you hate? Uh, I think you can relate to this. I hate the, uh, the fire alarm low battery sound that goes off every <laughs> five minutes in the middle of the night. <laughs> that really bugs me. Yeah, I can go with that. Lose my composure. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Um, I feel like I've already done it. <laughs> Scuba diving. Mm. Uh, but if I had to choose another one, uh, maybe being a pilot of small planes. I thought you said a pirate. I'm thinking, ah. hmm, this is a this is a strange strange choice. Yeah, yeah no, a pilot. I always have loved yeah. flying. So being up in the air. What profession would you not like to do? I would never cut it as a politician. Hmm. And finally, the heaven question: What would you like God to say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Huh. Um, I would like to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Great. I've gotten that a couple of times. Oh, have you? Yeah. It's, uh, what, Matthew 25, I think? Yeah, okay. I get, yeah, I was thinking maybe it's <laughs> as a source. Yeah. All right. Well, those are very, some of those are very specific answers. <laughs> you, have a very, you have a very visual imagination. <laughs> well, hopefully they work for the show. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. This has been amazing. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pleasure to have me on. I, I really appreciate it, and, um, and I enjoy your podcast. Oh, good. Well, that sounds like, I'm envious. It sounds like life right now is really, really kicking along for you. Coming along. Just the next step is to, to find some clients. <laughs> the ID Fanatic drops every Tuesday at noon Eastern time. I hope you're inspired to subscribe and read a review. Good, bad, or ugly, let me know what you think. You can contact me, Mitch Moldovsky, on LinkedIn, and I hope that you and yours have a totally awesome week. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs>